David? Yes, sir. What's up, buddy? We're back. We're back, baby. Like old times. <laughs> I feel like we've gone backwards in time. Oh it's my God, really... David! Your pictures of Spalding. Yeah, I did that. The yeah. best part about, like, you know, like even the stuff that you know I do with Ethan and Tom and all that. Even though Tom's with NBC, it's just amazing that we're able to continue to collaborate in any way, shape, or form. You know, it's fun. It's cool. It's super it's fun. cool. Thanks for thanks for thanks for keeping this thing going, man. Honestly, that show in Boston on Saturday was like life changing. I was like, what the yeah. fuck? These people are flying from fucking Florida and Tennessee, <laughs> like. Isn't that amazing? Dude, I don't know if you noticed this, Jade, but there was like a surprisingly intimate moment later in the night. I was actually looking for you. Yeah. I was, remember I came back to the back room? Yep. When I was on my way there, this couple that I had talked to earlier that I mentioned from the stage, Mario and Janine, um, they were freaking slow dancing. Just the two of them, like right in front of the stage, having like a really kind of intimate moment. Yeah. And, uh, and we were buddies. They're Canadian. You know, and, uh, and I was like, are you guys slow dancing at a podcast taping? All right. And Mario, who I'm sure was high as a cat, was just like, oh, yeah, Henry Abbott, and I want you to join in with us. And for like, I'm telling <laughs> you, two or three minutes, the three of us slow danced. Oh. <laughs> Let's make sure we cut that part. <laughs> you know what I was thinking about? Like the coolest thing about this whole thing to me? There's this line that uh, David probably heard me say. Ron Adams was profiled, I think, by Kurt Streeter in the New York Times. And he was describing like what Steve Kerr's been doing and like how Steve Kerr's done a bunch of stuff he never would have done. He's an old school coach. And this is all weird, but he's putting it all together in this crazy way. And now this is the quote from Ron Adams. He's like, well, Steve, like this is an interesting stew you've made here. Yeah. And I kind of feel like interesting stew is like my goal in life. And I felt like at your podcast, I'm like, well, this is an interesting stew. <laughs> Yes, exactly. I tried out like a, a theory on Mario and Janine when I first got there. I'm like, so you guys flew from Florida to be here with these people. Like, does that mean that you felt you had like a certain set of interests and ideas and feelings in Florida that you felt kind of alone in and it's nice to be together with people? And Mario was kind of like, yeah, maybe. And Janine's like, yes, <laughs> yes, that's what's happening. Mario feels alone. <laughs> Where in Florida are they from? I, you know what's? I never find that out. You know, Florida's not New York City, Henry. But like, like you can't just say Florida. New York Florida. City, say, but like we're a big state here, all right? Florida, dude, dude. We I'm quoting Florida, the, the buddy. I'm quoting the people who live in Florida and didn't tell me anything or more than that. <laughs> <laughs> Florida, Florida. There's Florida the state, and then there's Florida the concept. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess so. That's true. There's right. all that weird stuff that happens always in Florida. David's trying to separate himself from Florida, man. I think it's <laughs> can't do it. I love him here. Welcome to the Back to Back Podcast, Nerder. She wrote. We're doing a little bit different thing today. I got David Thorpe on the horn. This is Henry Abbott. How you doing, David? I cannot stop smiling. I did not expect this. But uh, as much as I love David Thorpe, of course, and uh, we've had a lot of fun over the last number of months, uh, it's awfully nice to have you here with me, Henry. Not that we don't speak all the time, but it's really nice to have you in this forum with uh, Suck It Hoy Jade in the background there. I'll cut that out. Thank you. <laughs> really, Jade? You really get mad when I say that? <laughs> It's, it's said with love. 
I did have one little guilty thing about today, which was you just said the words Dave before. So Dave has said to me about 50 times now that he's a little chap that he and I haven't ever gotten to talk. And I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. We're totally going to get that done. And then he was like, well, when's good for you? I was like, how about Thursday? And now I'm doing it on Thursday, but not with Dave. I like, I love you, Dave. I'm looking forward to talking to your enormous beard. Um, but yeah. He's with us in spirit. He, he's seething in spirit, I think. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so David, we have a, a potential list of topics we can choose from here. Um, one is like the NBA. Uh, two is parenting. Uh, three is oligarchs. Um, I'm happy to explore any of those avenues with you. You want to pick one? Yeah, I do. Yes. Let's, let's start with, uh, you were just in Boston and, and with Jade and, and you're welcome to talk about the, uh, the show y'all were at, but, um, Adam Silver had that comment about our players. And I think, I think it leads actually really good to our, to your lead discussion on oligarchs. I, I like to transition there. Cause I think it's all connected in some way. So were you in the room when, when silver was talking about that? I was, I was, yeah, I was in the it. front row and it was so inspiring that I was compelled to do the ultimate sign of respect was I pulled out my phone and started tweeting. Wow. Yeah. I, I saw that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so Adam silver said, uh, I think there's a few issues going on. One is a, is a larger societal issue. And I know you have a lot of young people who work for you at the yep. Ringer. Obviously, our, our players are young. We have young people in our office. I, I mean, I think we live a bit in the age of anxiety. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, 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 I've read studies on this. I think part of it is a direct product of social media. Yes. Um, I, and, and I think those players we're talking about, when I meet with them, what strikes me is that they are truly unhappy. I thought it was kind of amazing and a sign of, a conversation that really I think Jackie McMullen and Kevin Love kind of started with players being frank about mental health struggles. And um, then I've also noticed uh, Stephen Alardi, an amazing real deal researcher, practitioner in this area who used to work for the Phoenix Suns and also is the co-inventor of Real Plus Minus. He's a busy guy. Uh, but Stephen Alardi tweeted yesterday that um, deaths due to suicide, alcohol, and drugs have doubled, I think in the last 20 years, the number is six figures. It's alarming. Um, and in Lardy's book, uh, the depression cure goes into a lot of detail about what cures a lot of mental health diseases. Um, there are research based known factors. Three of them, I wonder if I can do this in memory are things that NBA players are guaranteed to be short of, uh, good sleep, sunlight, <laughs> and meaningful personal relationships. Um, the schedule just doesn't allow for those things. So, so to me, it was like almost like Adam Silver's like, hey, I'm identifying something. Like, you know, generally across the culture, people are anxious and unhappy. And NBA players have schedules. He didn't say this part, but, you know, have known risk factors to put them in that group. And so it should be no surprise to anyone. They're in the group of people who are feeling anxious. And weirdly to me, most of the response has been, he was joking, he shouldn't have said that, or he was, or what Charles Barkley said, which is he was stupid to say that. And, uh, well, I can hear you getting mad already, David. <laughs> I am, actually, yeah. Listen, Greeny, these guys are making 20, 30, 40 million dollars a year. They work six, seven months a year. We stay at the best hotels in the world. They ain't got no problems. Uh, that's total bogus. And let me tell you something else. Kyrie Irving... 
I don't know him that well. He seems like a, a good kid. But I've never seen a person so miserable. Oh boy, I had no. Yeah, that that's what we want to do. Let's just deny it and and not just ignore it, but just act like it's not true. Like Adam Silver's making it up. Like, how, why would he ever do that? You know. Yeah, I, I give I give him a credit for showing some vulnerability there. Don't you think? Some Look, I mean, vulnerability is the new strength, right? Like, yeah. like this is the deal. Like, you know, acting macho is the same as acting stupid knowing what we know now right like when we were kids maybe it was different to be like i'm the toughest guy in the room or whatever but now we know um even just even if you're nothing but selfish i mean i would like you not to be but even if you're nothing but selfish acting vulnerable is actually a way to attract support right um i think adam silver did you know a great thing there great Um, thing heroic thing yeah. So, you know, you know, my kid, Gal Mackle, well, my kid, he's 31 or 30 or something. Um, he's playing right now in St. Petersburg, Russia, which is a very gorgeous city, historical and all of that. And it's icy and so and very lots of lights. And so I think it's, the pictures I see are beautiful. But when I speak to him, which is relatively frequently, he, first thing he always says is he just he hasn't seen the sun in so long. He couldn't wait to get back to Israel during their, the national team break that, you know, Europe has a lot because he wanted to see the sun. You know, it's something that I'm, I joke all the time about wearing tank tops, which I'm not wearing one now and living in Florida. But I, I do take it for granted without question that I'm lucky here and that you know, even at five o'clock in the afternoon, I, I can still I, I actually have to put sunscreen on. When I, if I take a later, normally I try to walk by three, three thirty and I always sunscreen up. Oh my God, Jade, Jade, David can make every single topic about how sunny it is in Florida. This was an amazing effort here. (laughs) Tank tops and sunshine. Yeah, and sunscreen. (laughs) But if I walk at five, I still have to put sunscreen on, and I never think about it, that that it's unfortunate that way. Um, I think it's a brilliant point that Silver made and that you just made about those, those kind of conditions that make it even more uh, the anxiety-filled lives for these players. And did he even mention social media, Henry? Uh, oh, I, think so every, I think it's like a lot. Every single presentation of everybody on everything now mentioned social media, right? Did I mention follow me on Twitter, at True Hoop? <laughs> well done. Uh, <laughs> yes, very good, very sly, Henry. Um, so think about, I, and again, I, I get a chance to talk to athletes all the time too, uh, pretty much on a daily basis. And we don't typically talk about that, that, that topic. It's just there. The anxiety, it never ends. Whether I had someone tell me the other day that they, they can't imagine, this was a high school coach who wrote that he can't imagine why an NBA player would you know have a confidence issue regarding his shot. And I, I, this was on Facebook, we were having a dialogue and I just wrote to him like, you know, dude, you're, you live in a dream world. If you don't realize the best players in the world, think about these kind of things all the time. If they don't, they'd be, uh, they, it, it, neurotic isn't the right word. They'd be almost psychopathic that they, 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 to not feel like they, they're not, they're not capable of missing shots. Of course they are. And social media can't, can't help but pound that into them. Um, I think that my general feeling is this. There, there's such a lack of foundational roots that that uh, people have these days, and it goes back to uh, we can when we talk about oligarchs and our and politics and everything. Did you ever see the movie JFK, the Oliver Stone movie? I did. 
So there's this amazing scene where Kevin Costner's character is is kind of walking his assistants through the areas of New Orleans where where the the, uh, the ONI and the FBI and the CIA are all they all have offices like in the same corners of a, of a similar block. And he, he wants to go into the, the he wants to re begin like the investigation of of the assassination of JFK. And one of his one of his other lawyers says, like, you know, this is New Orleans. You know, how do you know who your daddy is except for who your mom told you? You know, it's, he, he doesn't want to fight what uh, is is always been told. But the reality is we have to do that now. We have to we have to challenge everything that's being told to us, not, not just from our government, which is a big part of it. And uh, and I feel like players today more than ever. I think Adam Silver is on top of this one. Uh, they're so unsure of everything, who who to trust, who to believe. Uh, and, and you can't just believe mom and dad. And, and a lot of times mom and dad don't really have an opinion on on their business, as they shouldn't. If you were a surgeon and your parents weren't doctors, you know, how could they help you? Well, unless they play the NBA, like Steph Curry has a big advantage having dad the, who he is. A lot of people can't get that advice from that. So they really struggle. And it's hard to even trust your coaches because those coaches may not be your coaches next week. You could be traded. They could be fired. And so I think that's a big factor, too, of that sense of that's where loneliness really comes in is who mm, who can you even turn to. Those teammates aren't even necessarily there tomorrow. So and so that's I the try part. to be that person as much as I can, you know. Loneliness is the thing. So. Yeah. So that's the that's like in, in Stephen Alardi's book, which I read because he's a friend of mine, a brilliant guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, great. He, you know, the depression cure makes a big focus on like, look, you get a little depressed, you spend more time alone, you don't go out much. Just not going out much frustrates the cure, right? So just joining any club, joining anything, having dinner with friends, like just going out and having that thing where I'm looking at you and you're looking at me and we're working out what it means to be a human by navigating these conversations together, that is a key way to alleviate mental disease, right? Now, to keep that in mind, as I tell you the important thing I left out when I did my Adam Silver summary, which is he said some superstars tell him that they fly to a city, they get off the plane, they get on a bus, and by the time they get, you know, so they spend a night, they have um, room service in the hotel room, Eventually, they get to the arena for the game, and they have not spoken to anyone in that time. A lot of these young men are genuinely unhappy. I mean, some have come from very difficult circumstances. That doesn't help. Some of them are amazingly isolated. And you and I have talked about this. This goes back to Jordan in the 90s. Right. It's not even the camaraderie that they were accustomed to. I mean, you saw some of the... um, the trailer or some parts of this film that we have from Michael's last year on the Bulls. I mean, the camaraderie was incredible. I mean, Michael, like what people didn't see was, I mean, he and and Phil Jackson, obviously, as as the coach, deserves enormous credit, but there was like classic team building going on all the time. These guys were a band of brothers, you know, on the buses, on the planes, and, and all the attention only brought them closer. If you're around a team in this day and age, their, their headphones on, they're isolated, and they're head down. Well, that's not good for your mental health no matter who you no. are. No one has a brain that's like, oh, I'm cool with that. And then I'm going to add to that uh, this little story. I had a weird few days of my life um, in Florida uh, in the Epic Hotel. Lovely hotel in Miami. Amazing um, hotel. But it was this weird period. David, you remember I got an MRI from your brother. 
Yep. Yep. <laughs> and then he called me. I had been in a ton of pain. I wasn't able to run. It was a bummer. But I'd been in pain for like a year. Um, and uh, with some kind of soft tissue injury or something. And I was complaining about it at dinner with your brother, who is a radiologist. And he was like, well, why don't you just come get an MRI? Which was seemed like a really good idea. Um, <laughs> so, so I did. And then he called me on from his vacation on Sunday morning, Father's Day, and told me I had four injuries. He just kept going. He's like, oh, well, you have like <laughs> this torn muscle, that torn muscle, this torn labrum, this wow. a couple other things. And he's like, you should call two different surgeons and you're probably going to schedule two different surgeries, including back surgery. That wasn't a great piece of news. Yeah. Um, and I'm a genius, David. Everyone knows that. I'm a freaking genius. So I had arranged this thing where I was like, we're going to only cover at the end of the NBA finals. I'm, I left out that part of the story. This was the this was the Heat Spurs finals, the famous one where the Spurs came back to win. Yeah. But I noticed that um, NBA writers were always burned out and wrote crappy stories at the end of the finals, which, by the way, is called the championship. Kind right. of a big time to be on top of your game. <laughs> so I proposed that our staff would split and some people would stay east and some people would stay west. So whenever they ended, whoever was there would be fresh and ready to do their best work. Um, and I said, I'll go first. Who's with me? And do you know what the rest of the staff said? Not me. So I was literally as a role model alone in Miami while the whole finals went to San Antonio. I get this call on Sunday and then I went to spend the next like 24 hours alone in my hotel room like NBA superstars who talk to Adam Silver do now. And I don't feel prone to depression. I, I, I don't think that's like a thing I really wrestle with. But right. that day, yeah. I was like, I was forlorn. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was it was a bad bad day and by the next morning i was like this is like i have got to get out of here and go talk to people who i love and have meaningful conversations and hotels are have been a little bit of a nightmare to me since that day i'm a little bit aware of like you go in that room and you close the door and you are alone and it's not fun that's such an insightful story uh for a lot of reasons um i i don't remember did you have? Did you end up having the surgeries? By the way, oh, well, you just wandered into my favorite, one of my favorite topics. No, um, that's right. Uh, I'll, I'll make it super snappy, but uh, yeah. I, I I looked for a bunch of great solutions. I went to all these like famed uh, people who are experts in this, but ended up getting no good advice from anyone that was useful of any kind, except uh, my friend Eileen Vasquez uh, has trained me twice a week since then with like generalized strength training, and she's yeah. meticulous about it. And, um, it's really hard, but I love it. And after five weeks after starting training with her, I was pain free. And now it's like five years later and I'm still pain free. And if she moves, I think we're going to just have to, the habits are just going to move with her because that's <laughs> the magic solution. That is pretty amazing. The, um, you know, do you remember a long time ago when, uh, one of my favorite all time players, James Worthy got busted for, uh, uh, soliciting a prostitute? Well, of course everyone remembers that. Yeah. Uh, I, I was so confused. I don't remember how old I was, but I, I certainly wasn't, you know, anything like I am now. It was a long time ago and I didn't know a lot about the world and it made no sense to me. Famous superstar, super rich, whatever. Uh, but as I've gotten older, I've realized, uh, what, what Adam Silver was talking about, what you were talking about with hotels, whatever. I've just seen it so many times that that loneliness is such an issue and it, people will even, I don't know the story of James Worthy any more than what I've already said. But people will do crazy things to not be lonely. They really will. 
And one of the great things about what Adam Silver is doing, uh, unfortunately, Charles Barkley doesn't get it. No, no surprise there, in my opinion. Amazing player, by the way. I love Barkley as a player. But uh, is you, to solve it, you first have to address it. You can't lie about it. And as an advocate for players and people, but especially players, uh, you, you've got to first talk about the elephant in the room and and not be shy. The, these, in so many cases, Henry, and you know this because we've talked about it some, these are young men who, have, who are not worldly. In fact, they're the opposite of worldly. And even when they've traveled, they aren't worldly because they don't get experience anything. They make no decisions for themselves. They're given a script of where to go, what to do, what to say. Even when they travel globally, that's the case sometimes, especially when they're young. Uh, I think Vince Carter now is a very worldly person. He he he's the CEO of his own company in a sense, and but he wasn't that way when he was 21, and also pretty famous for being so athletic. Uh, I've had players, and I've I've said this probably I've said this on Troop TV when um, uh, what was the what was the name of the uh, the Amici, the, the first player to admit that John he was Amici. gay, yeah, right, John Amici, yeah. I had a player call me and literally ask me like. How am I supposed to feel about this? I'm sure I've told you this off air, who it was and everything. How am I supposed to feel? And I just asked him, I said, well, how do you, how do you, how do you feel? He's like, what do I care? What, it doesn't matter to me at all. Is it okay for me to say that? And I just love that he was honest about it. And uh, because he was a young man he, and he didn't want to say a stupid thing. And this was, uh, th- th- this is normal. It, we, we call our moms and our dads uh, but there's no penalty for us, Henry. You, well, you and I are a little bit in the public eye because of because of our place in the media. But most people aren't, and they can have an opinion and not get beat up about it. An NBA player doesn't have that luxury. So I feel like, and this is where I think the best teams are starting to do a, a much better job of serving, not as a surrogate parent, these just as a friend, as someone that cares. Uh, the ones that do that, that that show they care about their players beyond their production on the court. Uh, I just think build a longer lasting relationship and a deeper one. And when it comes to things like free agency, uh, I think that's going to be a factor as we go forward of where can the player feel like he's part of something beyond himself because they need that connection. Well, and there's a, Oh, you're getting me excited. So this other thing I've been a little obsessed with is like, how do you make a system so that it works better? Um, which sounds really boring, but that's basically like business books, right? Like how do you yeah. build a team and what rules do you make? And, um, and there's now a lot of actual research on that instead of like Lee Iacocca screaming from the, uh, the bookshelf, you know, there's like people have really studied this and I'm going to crudely summarize a ton of research when I say that the key is to make people feel safe. Yeah. Right. Um, psychological safety, right? So if you're not so worried about your position in the company, um, or as, as an NBA player, like your playing time, then you might go out there and do something really inventive and, and exciting. And that might be really helpful to the team, right? You want players to feel safe, safe enough that they can do their best work, which might not be conventional, right? Or in the business context, it's like, look, if everybody thinks we're going to reward their good ideas, they might share them even if they think they sound weird, right? But if you're like, no, no, that sounds stupid. What a stupid idea. Like Charles Barkley's doing right now. People won't share their best ideas, right? So I think, you know, Steph Curry with the ball is a man who feels very safe, right? Like he's willing to shoot from places people have never shot from right. and to do crazy stuff with his dribble. He's just a fully empowered human. And 
championship, 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 right? That's what you get out of that. Um, it's not, you can't just turn Lance Stevenson safe, free in that same way, right? He's not that player, but you can make him feel safe in the things that he can do. Let him experiment in his ways, right? Sketch out with him like, hey, you know, we love it when you do this and maybe more of that. Um, I, I think the research shows that the way you make people feel safe is exactly what you're saying, is to like notice and acknowledge them and nurture them as humans, um, first and foremost, and then as workers secondary to that. Um, that's what I'm, so that's the path I see Adam Silver kind of going down is like, look, you're struggling insert star name here. Right. And I see you struggling and that matters to me. I want you to not struggle. Like think about how you'd feel inside if you were depressed or anxious, right. You'd feel this flood of like, Oh, thank goodness. We're getting somewhere. Like I'm noticed. Right. Kevin Love was on Twitter after Adam Silver said that saying, all right, let's do this. How do we, how do we help everybody else? Right. Um, that is such a different, more useful, uh, relationship than, you know, shut up and just do your job. We pay you a lot. Yeah. Well, beautifully said. So, uh, before I forget, uh, years ago near the end of his career, Keon dueling was, was, uh, came down to me and, uh, we, I don't remember, we spent a week or two together and, he, he has been very public about some of the things he's gone through in his life, and he's involved in the NBA now with stuff. And as you know, he was a great player. He's a Florida kid. Uh, and, I, you know, we spent whatever, 10 days together, I don't really remember. And I don't remember much about it other than I, I was a huge fan of his when he was in high school. And I, I was glad that I could spend some time with him on the court. Uh, but every time he sees someone and finds out that they know me, he's always like, please. And I've talked to him uh, directly when he when I finally kept – I kept – hearing he was saying such nice things about the time we spent together. And I don't think I taught him a single thing about basketball. I can tell you that he was, he was already a, a, a well-versed veteran in the game. I think I just listened to him. And so I finally just reached out to him. And so we've spoken a couple of times in the last few months. Um, just, I, I said, Hey, I don't know what I did, but thank you for always saying such nice things about me and the time you spent with me. And uh, he never really talks about what I did. I just, I, I'm sure I did nothing other than, I, I saw him, you know, I, I, I recognized who he was and what he's gone through. And, and Henry, uh, how many years have you been married now? 20. Yeah. So, so we're combined. Um, we're, we're going on 49 years for well, 50 years. I'm going on 29. You're going on 21. Uh, I would argue that, that, uh, I, I know your relationship is very strong and I think you feel like, uh, my wife and I, that we're still amazing, amazingly close somehow after going, you know, going on 29 years. And I would argue that the first thing that they, our wives would say as to what's the secret, because everyone's always asking, what's the secret? I'm sure they would say what you already just said, which is I, I feel safe with them. And it's not a physical thing. I'm not an imposing guy, neither are you. But in a general sense, uh, we're honorable to our, uh, to our wives and we care about them and we, we aren't perfect by any stretch. Uh, it's not a bad place to begin. journalists went down to Florida. Um, I'm just going to say Florida, right? It doesn't matter which town. Everybody knows Florida. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, uh, I wish Jay could have gone. We didn't know him then. 
somewhere in Florida, which is 100% all the same. Um, we, uh, we did, I don't know, we did, we trained, we trained like a pro. We trained like NBA, like you trained us like you trained NBA players. And there was this very memorable moment for me where uh, you and coach Mike Moreau, who you worked with at the time, uh, like this is where we lock the gym doors. And we want you to dribble harder than you've ever dribbled in your life. Because there's this thing, which is when you ramp up against tougher competition, you start dribbling harder and faster than you ever have. And now you cause your own turnovers before the defense even gets close to you. So let's practice that dribbling now. So they lock the doors so that these are ordinarily NBA players are training. So no one can get embarrassed, right? They're going to be turning it over all the time if they're doing it right. This is the same exact thing. This is the same exact thing as show us your crazy ideas, right? Show us the weird stuff. Try the weird things. Um, push the limits is what we're saying. And um, if you think you're going to be embarrassed for pushing the limits, you're not going to push the limits. But if you think we're all going to give you a big hug for just going crazy, then uh, you're going to push it. And I'm so proud because um, uh, handles never been like my total forte, but uh, I-, I was making these little videos and I interviewed coach Moreau afterward and he explained the drill. And I was like, well, how do we do? And he's like, well, Henry, you know, if the goal is to turn the ball over, you might be one of the best we ever had. <laughs> So to show how how the depth of our relationship uh, in my in my book, I have a chapter where I write about this exact thing where we we want mistakes and uh, I learned the term hammer nails from from Jason Williams uh, and after and I wrote this in my book too after asking like how are you so good at ball handling? Ah, coach, I'm just hammering nails and so I'm like I'm running a practice tonight for some really talented high school players and we pound the ball and I tell them you're not dribbling hard enough. But the title of that chapter is called Standing Ovations for Turnovers. And you gave me that, that phrase, standing ovations. We do, we do do that. We cheer when you turn the ball over if it's an effort mistake, right, in our workouts. But I didn't come up with the term standing ovations. You did. Oh. And uh, it's exactly well, right. And, and so, you know, just segue into NBA stuff a little bit. When we see these teams, Henry, on these roller coasters – emotionally the, the the Celtics for our newsletter coming out next week I'm going to probably dive in I'll make my final decision tomorrow but it looks like I'm going to dive into Boston because after losing I think five of six they suddenly destroyed the Warriors and beat a very good or well, interesting anyway Sacramento team last night that I watched without Kyrie in fact they've won seven straight without Kyrie over the course of the season he was a little banged up from the Golden State game but as all these teams Golden State is another team that is on that roller coaster. It, this is why they're on it. This this sense of loneliness. It's hard to foster that kind of climate all through a long season full of travel and no sleep and no sun. Everything you're talking about. The, those that manufacture that, like for example, no surprise, the LA Clippers in sunny, beautiful LA, they've somehow managed without really any stars to to do that. And and Denver with one star and and actually lots of sunshine. People don't realize that. They've managed to uh, to do that. It's very hard. And I think that sense of connection is more valuable than maybe ever before because of the climate we live in now. I don't mean the literal climate, although, again, the sun is an issue. Uh, you've got to have that. You've, you can't be alone in that hotel. Someone should probably write a book about it. Alone in your hotel room is no way to win a championship. You've got to you've got to get out and connect uh, I would, if I was running a team, which I never will. Um, I think I'd ban room service. Like, no, no, we're at worst case scenario. We're going to, we're going to eat in the lobby at three in the morning together. Uh, and I know we've all traveled on a plane together, but everyone just sleeps or whatever. 
We're going to have a 3 a.m. meal uh, at, in, in our hotel, but we're going to force ourselves to connect. And I know the Warriors did that last year on the road. Every road trip that they could, they, they did a team meal that you can invite like up to two people. I think it was something like that on the road. And they, they rented out hotels, uh, restaurants or sometimes restaurants outside hotels, and they closed it for everyone but that family, your team and whoever you wanted to bring. And it was brilliant. Because uh, for reasons we're talking about, they it, it fought it helped fight that loneliness at least to some degree. You know, um, I I talked about the Epic Hotel as a place of uh, a bout of depression, but let me shout out the Epic as the solution too. Yeah. Um, in what year were the Thunder in the finals? Two thousand before that. It was before and before the yeah, two thousand ten. So. I also stayed in the Epic in 2010, as did the Oklahoma City Thunder. And they, there was one floor, there's a floor like halfway up. It's a, it's a high rise hotel, halfway up with restaurants and stuff. They, what, 2012. Thanks, Jade. Um, wait, Jade, were you in that hotel that, those finals? I, the asked, I stayed at the Epic one day. I didn't like it. It's too, that area is too claustrophobic for me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Jade knows what I'm talking about, though. The Thunder had rented out a floor. Um, which was close to the rest of us, where they had just three meals a day as a group. So every time you'd see Thunder, well, not every time, but almost every time I was in the elevator, if there was a Thunder player or staffer in the, ele- in the elevator, there were multiples. They were not traveling alone. They were not eating in their rooms. They were going to the presumably beautifully catered meals um, on 11, wherever the floor was. And I remember thinking, you know, I bet it's pretty pretty cool to go eat on 11. And um and I also went to the gym early in the morning, a lot of mornings, and there would be like, uh, who was it? There was a backup injured point guard on that team, blanking on his name. Oh, was like, it Eric, Eric Maynard? Was, was it Eric Maynard? Mm, I don't Reggie think Jackson, so. Eric Maynard? Uh, I don't think so. Um, but they were, there were, there were two um, staffers in the gym working out this guy at like 7 a.m. the morning after a game doing really hard stuff and they were just peppering him with positivity and encouragement and back the next morning and the next morning and the next morning and I was like man this is this is pretty cool like this is this is the opposite of hanging around in your hotel room and being depressed about your injuries <laughs> uh you know you think when you say Oklahoma City um Paul George State oh, was it Royal Ivy that was hurt <laughs> no, I'm looking, uh, I'm looking at Oklahoma City right now. Daquan Cook, Royal Ivy, Derek Fisher played. This was just their playoff roster. It might have been someone that wasn't on the roster. Anyway, I just now it's going to bother me. Um, I'm going to look while you're talking. Paul George, like he didn't just go back in a vacuum. And I've said this many times before. And I, and I don't think Oklahoma City, it, you know, you, I don't think you would rank in nothing against the, their fans. Uh, I'm sure it's quite beautiful sometimes, but I just don't think it's the most beautiful place to live during an NBA season. But I got to give credit to Sam Presti. He's, I think he's built a model franchise. It's as have the owners. It's not just one guy. And Billy Donovan as a coach. Uh, Paul George went back to that. Like it, it wasn't just, I mean, he went back and played with Russell Westbrook, which is something Kevin Durant didn't want to do. And maybe it says something about Durant a little bit too. Uh, we'll find out this offseason. But um, yeah, I just think that we're, we're, we're hitting on something. Adam Silver 
ripped the bandaid off a little bit of what we all, you know, exposed what we all need to see. And again, as someone that deals with athletes the way I do uh, everywhere, not just in the NBA, uh, it's, it's an important thing. And I, and I've started, uh, kind of like a side business with, you know, troop obviously takes a lot of my time, but, uh, I've resisted doing anything online to help players beyond at period other than just doing, you know, Twitter here and there. And a little, I do some stuff on Facebook where that's more for coaches and, and friends and so forth. But, uh, my kids are almost grown now. They don't really need me anymore. And I've got some young assistants that are so anxious to, to use the curriculum we built over the years to, to help people. And honestly, we're building out the website now. I've not even talked to you much about this. Um, there's not a whole lot for me to do anymore. I've done all the work in terms of working with players, but I said to my assistant last night, we're making such a mistake. If we just think about the X's and O's part of it, the curriculum part of it, uh, on terms of the drills and skills, it's, we got to love our players. We got, we got to, we got to show, I I'm considered so-called so-called godfather of player development as a business. Cause people have always done player development, but I see people all over the world doing this and I'm thrilled. I'm embarrassed that I never really thought about building a business beyond just myself. Uh, but I'm thrilled that people all over the world are doing it, but they're not doing it right. Henry, they're not, they're focused on, on, uh, on cones and dunking and whatever. And they're not focused on building a better person. And I got a beautiful email the other day and I'll say his name. His name is Ari Luxemburg. Ari was a five foot six or five foot eight little Jewish nerd from where I live. Okay. Lives like 15 minutes from where I live right now. And he came to me when he got cut from his JV team. I didn't even remember any of this, but this was in the email he sent me. And, uh, his dad said, you know what? His dad, I think, was a doctor in the area. He said, let's go, let's go work out with Coach Thorpe and his basketball academy. This was early 90s when I was first doing it. And honestly, a lot of my players were very, very good players. And, uh, but I was trying to build a business. I wasn't going to say no to a paying customer. And uh, I never once told the kid he could be a college player. I just wanted to help him make his team as a, as a junior because he got cut from his JV team. And uh, I'm happy to say that in this email, he reminded me that he did make it. And he actually earned meaningful playing time for a team that made the playoffs. And then he went off to the University of Florida. Then he went off to law school. And he is now a senior vice president uh, at business affairs and, and for Paramount Pictures. And he said he still plays ball two or three times a week and still remembers uh, uh, some of the lessons that I taught him. And even more important to me, uh, I knew what he was doing. And I got a call re- recently from another former player of mine who just finished playing at Harvard, much, much better player, really talented player. And he is sorry, Ari. Hmm? Zach. Sorry, Ari. <laughs> huh? Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Ari, a foot taller than Ari. Uh, this guy's <laughs> almost like six, seven, six, eight. And, uh, he moved to LA to be, to pursue a career in writing, which was surprising to me because he had a head for business. And I introduced, I, I said, Hey, I've got a former player out there that, uh, I don't really care that he didn't play at Harvard. To me, they're all former players or, former students. So I reached out to, uh, to Ari and I said, Hey, I've got this kid, Zach, he's 22, just out of college. And right away he's like, coach, I'll have, him, I'll have him the lunch on the lot. And I didn't think about it again. I hooked him up, never thought about it. Two weeks later, I get a phone call. I get a text. Hey, I just had lunch with, um, with Ari on the Paramount Pictures lot. It was amazing. And you know, you, you know, incredibly great that meant to me that, that he had showed that kind of love to, to, our, to, uh, to Zach and, didn't need me at all anymore. And I, in fact, I said to Zach, you don't have to follow with me anymore. Ari will take care of you in a way that I can't. 
that's what our job is supposed to be as, as coaches for people that aren't going to be professional or great high school players. Help them as people. Give them confidence as people. And I feel like what Sam Presti gets in Oklahoma City and what Popovich gets in San Antonio and what I think the Lakers maybe don't get is that aspect of, of building a person from the inside. Uh, help them make jump shots is great. But if you make them feel safe as a person, they will make more jump shots. I promise you. And if you don't do it as a team, they've got to build their own team around themselves, which some players do with the right agent, the right trainer, whatever. Uh, uh, they've got to take it for themselves. And that's where the NBA is really going to excel, Henry, and maybe the NFL won't. Because I think the NFL is probably in denial for their problems. And Adam Silver is not for his. And so I give him so much credit for our players are lucky, in my opinion, to have to have them, him as commissioner. I agree, although I, I wonder, I hope you're right. I wonder if you were to pull, you know, the NBA is like a small town, right? Like it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a few yeah. thousand people. Yeah. If you were to do surveys in that town, um, do more people think Charles Barkley is right? Oh, yeah, or it's a great Adam point. Silver, you know? You're it's, making a great point. We have to, that's the fight we have to have, right? A troop, we're going to lead that fight, damn it. We, we, we can respect Barkley for his play, but I'm sorry, he's just, he's so wrongheaded in, in this opinion. But this is where we are in the country right now is the, the idea of make America great again is, is ridiculous for many reasons. But the, the ignorance of fact and sticking our head in the sands for science is, is just a huge mistake. And, and that leads, I think, as to where we are with this, this, uh, this process you're following with the oligarchs in, in Russia and how it's impacting us in America. They do have this. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm way into this Russia stuff, David. I can go long on this topic. You should not have opened it. We were doing fine. We were on schedule. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm about to get crazy. Um, but no, but in all reality, there is a man. Uh, they called him the Gray Cardinal, Vladimir Surkov. Um, he's not that central to Russian politics now, but he was for a time um, like a key, key advisor to Putin. And he, there's a whole book about him um, by this guy, Peter Pomerantsev. And he had this particular strategy that was so fiendishly brilliant. Um, and I think you can kind of see happening here. So the idea was that um, the Arabs – now, here's officially where you everyone should just stop listening. <laughs> but, um, all right. So the Arab Spring was happening, right? Gaddafi was dragged from power and like sodomized on video and murdered. Right. This kinds of thing was happening in multiple countries which had these despotic leaders. Um, according to a bunch of research, there's a great frontline documentary on it. There's tons of people have written about this. This is not really my own observation, but right. this really freaked out Vladimir Putin. He thought he was next, and there were actual protests, hundreds of thousands of people, or more than a thousand people, across the street from the Kremlin um, in Moscow. He really thought he was next. And um his particular ire at Hillary Clinton was raised in this moment because there's actually – she was sitting down for an interview on camera, and it was not yet the part of the interview that was you know, included. But it was, it was nevertheless the camera was on, and that footage is available, and you can see it um, online or in that Frontline documentary. She watches what happened to Gaddafi on her phone, and she kind of grins. <laughs> Um, and, wow. and then around that time, like one of her key deputies is like literally handing out sandwiches to the protesters in the streets. And so, you know, Putin perceives it as, uh, they're coming for him personally. Um, well, if you think about that, this would be like a street movement 
that everyone believes in right. that overwhelms the natural like current right the common of power, the right yeah. it's a revolution yeah well right. without that belief part you can't have that revolution yeah so Surkov had this genius idea he basically they already had this what they call managed democracy in Russia where they the opposition parties are largely organized by the Kremlin to give the appearance of opposition, of democracy, right? So that they get to take a bow as being a democratic system, but they don't actually have to worry about losing the election, right? Because, um, well, Peter Pomerantsev has this whole story he tells about uh, they allowed some blogger into the Kremlin for some meeting, and then this key guy, Surkov, uh, left the door open to his office and wasn't there. And the blogger slipped in and took these photos. And you could see the big phone, the big old school phone on Surkov's desk had like speed dials for the head of every opposition party. Wow. You can see the implications here that the entire, like any protest that could ever happen, any, anyone at a microphone uh, saying we need to overthrow Putin is someone who appears to be on the payroll and controlled by Putin, right? So that's crazy. But even crazier is later comes the revelation that the blogger who leaked that photo, who you might think would be like killed or whatever, um, was in fact also on the payroll. Like the whole thing was staged because it leads you to this conclusion that like everything is PR. That's the translation of this phrase that I'm told is popular. Like everything is PR. So anything that happens, anyone who says anything is someone who's staging it, right? Um, if you can make that happen, you can't have a revolution. If you're in a society where everything seems to be jaded and everyone who sees every press conference says, yeah, that guy's just doing it for his own selfish reasons. Like that's a place where the existing powers that be are safe. So if you look at how, um, the troll farm in St. Petersburg, where Gamak were playing, where Vladimir Putin's from. Um, if you look at how they acted on Facebook, it was basically that they would try to, they didn't trump up just like right wing causes or, you know, they were definitely involved in some racist white stuff, but every faction, they were, in, yeah. they were in favor of us all looking factionalized and political. Um, right. Sowing so like disharmony, right. Sowing yeah. disharmony. Yeah. Discord. Yeah. yeah. And America like, and same with Brexit, right. An America like that has a hard time unifying in the face of strong opponents, right. It's, it's hard to kick anybody out. Um, you know, like a, a muddling, meddling foreign power, right? If, if we're all just fighting with each other, right? And, and there's this other thing that happens with your brain, right? When you're scared, if, if you're thinking that there's like the threat of physical violence or et cetera, you actually can't use the part of your brain that's reasonable, that where you reason when you're amygdala, if I were to tell amygdala hijack, right? So all of this kind of racially infused, you know, oh my gosh, like, you know, immigrants are causing all this violence and rape or whatever. If that frightens you, then your amygdala fired up and you're no longer really assessing what you think is reasonable. You're just kind of saying, oh, make that problem go away. And then in the case of Putin in 2000 or Trump in 2016, here comes the candidate saying, I can make these scary things go away, <laughs> right? Like that's, that's the strategy. Did, did you read... Um it's amazing we're talking about this on an NBA podcast. Jade, are you okay with this? Of course. All right. So did you did you guys read from Beirut to Jerusalem? Do you remember that book, Thomas Friedman, his first yeah. book? Yeah. 
Yeah, I met that guy. And then I asked if I could interview him and he said, uh, no. <laughs> really? I met him too when I went to one of his book things, but but he didn't, he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't, he was signing autographs. Why wouldn't he let you interview him? I don't know. Because he's a schmuck? <laughs> I don't know. He didn't want to talk to me, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love him, though. but uh, I love his book anyway. So he's got that great chapter, um, uh, Hama Rules. And it's a haunting, haunting, haunting story, true story of the Muslim Brotherhood was first starting to uh, give the Syrians the Assad, you know, the first Assad problems uh, with attacks and so forth. And they were basically based in Hama, which is a city, a good sized city in Syria. And so the Assad regime basically sent in their army, killed everyone they could, and then flattened the city with bulldozers, literally flattened it. And then, amazingly enough, bust in the media so they could report on what he did with the idea that, all right, no, there's going to be no more uprisings. And for decades, there wasn't. It, it, talk about a show of brutal power. And, but here's the haunting part. Well, here's the more haunting part to, to go what you just said. Uh, Friedman interviewed a lot of people around Syria back in, this, back in the 80s. And, and they basically said, this is paraphrasing, I'm paraphrasing him who's paraphrasing them, uh, every once in a while you need a little Hama uh, rules situation to keep the peace. And that's what we're dealing with now, in my opinion. That's what you're describing, is people who want, you know, you, you made a comment to me, Henry, a few weeks ago on the phone about 60 million people, I think you said, are living with chronic pain. Yeah, 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 yeah. I heard that on the radio and I... Yeah. I don't know where that number comes from, but right. Um, so yeah, and, that's a and, problem. And you're talking about physical pain mostly, but I think you're also also cognizant of just the, the just unhappiness, frustratedness, whatever. And so if some guy is saying, "Hey, I'll solve it for you," great. That means I don't have to do it anymore because some of what we, some of the pain that we feel, and you and I both feel this as you know, men trying to support our families, and we both have two kids that we have to send to college very, very soon now for me. I've got, my kids actually start next year. Luckily, it's, they're also a senior of high school, so they get a, I don't have to spend any money and they live, for, they live in my home anyway, and uh, then they'll go off. Um, but we, we feel that pain of having to provide for our family and health insurance costs and all of that. Uh, and so, yeah, it'd be great if someone could just say they'll wave a magic wand and make it all better, uh, but not if you're a rational thinking person can you just say, okay, no one man is doing that. And when, when one man's promising it, you should be wary. And I think 64% of our country or so is wary of, of the one man promising will fix everything. And 36 or so percent feels like, hey, great, we're going to be saved by a – he's not going to you know, bulldoze the city, so to speak. But maybe, maybe um, metaphorically he will. There's a – actually, wow. Okay. We're deep in the weeds here. Charles, Charles Barkley is basically saying, like, you shouldn't be suffering with that, right? Like, this word should is always a problem. It's like, it's basically saying, like, I don't care how the world actually is. I'm worried about a different version I have in my imagination, right? Um, yeah. But uh, that's the same thing. You're talking about all these people with chronic pain or or the people listening to this podcast who we all have our struggles, right? You got you to gotta yeah. pay the mortgage. You got to do – things are hard, right? Life yeah. is hard. That's just Life how it is. Grind. Life's um, a slog. Yeah, it's a slog. So in that slog, uh, you can 
sort of pick your story. You can say, oh, like this, these things are great or these things are terrible. And you can sort of decide what to focus on. But, um, you know, some of the limits are harder. <laughs> some, if you're, if you're clinically depressed, you can't just like to pretend you're not right. That's not a useful strategy there, right? You can't just put a smile on that. Can't put lipstick on that pig. So I guess what I'm saying is, um, those voices that don't want to hear about vulnerability, right? They kind of want to deny that we're all in this struggle. But I think there's actually a lot of value in feeling togetherness in that struggle. That's actually one of the big solutions. So, you know, saying like, oh my gosh, like I see you. Um, yeah. You're doing, you're going through this hard thing. Um, you know, we're all, uh, greetings and salutations. <laughs> you know, I'm clapping for you. Amazing. I love that you're doing that hard work. Um, that makes me feel stronger, makes you feel stronger. Like it's, it's what we can do. It's what we can do for each other. So while you're talking, I'm watching video of LeBron James uh, without volume. Um, and I watched them uh, last night. And I thought to myself last night, and I just thought it again now as you're talking about what you just said about vulnerability. What if, what if LeBron really just embraced how bad they are and just acknowledged that, you know what, we miss Lonzo Ball's defense. We're, we're just a terrible defensive team. And maybe we'll get saved by signing some other free agents, but this is my squad and I've not done a great job leading them. Uh, I was, it's very obvious. I was hoping to get much better players here. I've got some talents here for sure. They're young. Some of the veterans we have here, it hasn't worked out, but here's who we are. And if I have to miss the playoffs this year, I'm going to rededicate myself in the off season to, to winning with these guys. I'm not the GM. I'm sure they'll try to bring in more players like any other team would, including, you know, the Warriors that just won 73 games. They brought in Kevin Durant. We're allowed to want to bring in an all-star player or two or two of them. But if he took that approach and really embraced those guys, which, by the way, is kind of what he did. but not kind of. It is what he did in Cleveland. I don't think he really thought he'd ever win a championship. He got a little lucky, deservedly so. It happens sometimes and won. Imagine what that would do. For them, and quite frankly, he he needs some help. He's not the player he was day in day out. He can't be, and we knew this would happen. I still think he can be incredible for long stretches. And I'm not saying he can't be the best team on a championship team. He just needs better players at two, three, and four. But some of those guys can be good enough to be that. Uh, they probably need a new coach too. But imagine what how he'd be seen. Some people like the Barclays of the world will probably call him weak and everything. He almost can't win with those guys. But a lot of us would say, oh, wow, especially if he did it again. If he, Talk about legacy, right? If, if he took this Lakers team next year to the finals, okay, which a lot of people thought would happen this year, I didn't. I didn't think they'd necessarily make the playoffs. But if he did it next year, even if they lost, uh, I, I think he furthers his argument that he's the best player of all time. He doesn't decrease it, you know? Right. It's a, right. Amazing idea. I think ad admitting vulnerability is exactly not what the best player in the world would do. It's not in the Michael Jordan model, but being a player and a leader are completely different things, right? And right. the skill set that makes you an incredible athlete um, has little overlap with what makes you good at your definition of leadership, which is breathing spirit into the hearts of others, right? So what you're saying to me, LeBron's teammates would hear as, Oh, wow. You know, it's on us. Like, you know, we got to help him. What can we do? Um, I always remember when I was doing all those Kobe stories, uh, this amazing source who knew a lot about what would happen there 
explained to me what Kobe didn't say, right? So Kobe basically did everything right to be an incredible player. Right. But getting the most out of Andrew Bynum or Shaquille O'Neal was not his forte, right? Those players tended not to play their best alongside Kobe, um, often because they couldn't get the ball. Um, But he's like, look, if you went to Andrew Bynum and said, uh, this is going to be really hard. I don't think we can win a championship. But if we can, It'll be because you and I can do it together and because you're amazing and I think I can get the best out of you. Now you're saying to Andrew Bynum, like, give me the hardest work you've ever given in your life. And if we both do it just right, and I'm noticing you, uh, there might be a championship in it for us. Well, look at look at the last two teams, last two franchises that, have, that won um, back-to-back titles. We got the Warriors now, and we got the Heat before that. Okay, LeBron really played for one of those teams. Uh, you had Dwayne Wade, who, with, to me, is one of the top shooting guards of all time in almost any possible way you could evaluate it, uh, and and it also to the eye test. I just thought he was incredible. And it, they renamed Dade County, Florida, Wade County for a reason. And yet, and you and I were, this was, uh, Jay will remember, this was during True Hoop. During Troop TV and everything else, uh, Wade just publicly admitted and, and then clearly from his play on the court took a step back and, and said, OK, you know what? LeBron's better than me and it's better for us if I just play the role I need to play just below him. I'll get my shots plenty of times. Bosch, by the way, did the same thing in the, in, as a tertiary guy and they won back to back titles. And then uh, Steph Curry was back to back MVP. He, uh, my son just did a, uh, an essay for AP Lang, AP language, um, and his choice, not surprisingly, he's my son was, uh, he had to do an argumentative essay and it was Steph Curry's most influential NBA player, uh, on and off the court since the 79, 80 season, of course, magic and bird. Right. And he supported with lots of facts on Jersey sales and three point shooting and whatever. So this guy, I think you and I will both agree is, I think he's the best offensive player in the history of the game. Uh, in terms of just weaponized as a, as a player, what he can do with or without the ball, which is pretty incredible. Jordan wasn't nearly the player Curry was without the ball. Think about that for a minute in terms of effect on the team. Of course, this, the game was different. But yet, if you watch them play, and especially in the last two NBA finals, he just allowed Kevin Durant to be the man. And uh, that that is no one's going to talk about that. And they should. And GM should be talking to their teams. Uh, and, and you know what? Maybe Russell Westbrook decided to do that this year. Russell Westbrook has been a different player. We shocked all of us. Uh, and Paul George is arguably the MVP of the season this year. He won't get it because Harden has just put up such crazy numbers. And Anthony Couple has got the best team and is, leads the league in dunks and, and an intrigue because of what Anthony Couple does and how he looks as a player. But Paul George might be the best defensive player in the league, and I think he's top three in scoring. I haven't looked at the stats recently, but he's up there. I'm going to look him up now. This is uh, the, the dilemma you're describing to me is exactly like when you get a high school group assignment. Um, I think and it's changing a lot now, but you know, I, I got really good grades. And when I was in a group, I would look around and be like, eh, it's probably better if I do most of the work, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to make sure I get a good grade. Yeah. Um, that's... That's a road to dispiriting the other people in your group, 
right? They're like, oh, yeah. here's this jerk who's like, and, and so maybe some of them are like, great, I don't have to do the work, but, right. but nobody feels good about themselves, right? right. Nobody's going to have their Paul George emergency season in that group, right? Right. The trick is real leadership is this messy, weird thing, which is, okay, it's the four of us in our like, you know, AP Lang group or whatever. Yeah. What can I do to get you guys doing your best work is a completely different thing from showing off how much you know, right? It's totally, totally different thing. And it's really hard. Um, we're going to, I can, I think I can uh, bring up a little dad pod, uh, closing idea, which yeah. is my daughter, uh, is an extremely, uh, good student. And we talked about this group stuff. She was in a play. She does a lot of theater. She was in a play, um, and it, what, a lot of those play rehearsals, all those rehearsals, a lot of times it brings the group really closer together and everyone just loves it. And it's some of the most fun stuff you're going to do um, in high school, right? But this one wasn't one of those. It was a little bit trickier and, and it was harder to get everybody on the same page. And it wasn't as fun to go to rehearsal. And I'm just so proud of her. Uh, she rallied an outing for half the cast, uh, to go before the big opening night to get Manny's and Petty's together. <laughs> and it wasn't because she thought that was going to be really fun. And she thought that would be helpful and inspiring to the rest of the group. And it was. And that was, I thought, that's leadership. Not being the best performer. I mean, that's cool and everything. That's the Michael Jordan model, where you retire and nobody likes you. Um, the much more interesting model to me is what you're talking about with Steph Curry, who's leads the league in what he's not doing on the court. Right. <laughs> he's trying to make it kind of make space for others. And, uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. It is. And I give Durant credit for, for, uh, not being a jerk about it too. Of course he also delivered. And, and so now, yeah, I was right. Paul George is second in scoring Curry's third Durant's fourth. That's pretty incredible. Uh, that goes to their culture a little bit too. Uh, one thing to those, those that are still listening, if we didn't put you to sleep with my stories of Syria, um, like I know this story about about Henry's daughter because we talked about it on the phone as we as we don't do as often as we once did because we're busier with our business and so forth. But um, if if you if you find the time and have a friend to talk about these kinds of things, do it. Uh, I learn from Henry almost every time we talk about being a better dad and uh, and a and better husband and actually a better son. We each have relationship with our fathers, which I think are good and maybe even better as our as our fathers have aged. And I value learning those things. I certainly, I know a lot about teaching jump shots. I don't know everything, but I'm such an amateur in almost everything else that I do. And uh, it's great to have a friend to talk about those kinds of things with. Uh, we don't get any more chances. I was telling my daughter this the other day. I've learned so much about, about being a dad to her, uh, different than, you know, for my son. And uh, I regret in some ways that I don't have another one. Um, I'm going to be an amazing papa, I hope. Uh, she's taught me so much about how to be a dad to her because I pay attention and I suck at it. I'm just getting better all the time. I try to get better all the time at, at, at being what she needs. And I just don't get to practice it anymore because she doesn't need me much. She's, she's moving on soon. Um, but I value what she's taught me and I value what you've taught me. And, and, and I have other friends too that have taught me so much. Uh, it's, uh, it's an easier way to go about things if you admit that you don't know everything and, and are eager to try to learn, you know? It's just a relief that I do know everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that joke did not land. Mm, so. <laughs> 
So, so to wrap, I know we got a few more minutes here, just a few. Um, I think that uh, when we look at our, the, the NBA landscape, one of the things I love is it's just, it's hard to know what we don't know. We need just to admit that we don't know it. And, um, you know, everyone, we, we all, you and I both think, you asked me this even the other day, the Warriors, you know, it, it, you, it, you, every year you used to always ask me, who would I pick? Miami versus the field, Warriors versus the field. Um, we, we saw Golden State get blown out by Boston. I didn't watch the game, but they got destroyed by the Celtics. And, um, and we've talked about it, it, the Golden State's own line is uh, the only team that could beat us is us. And so they got blown out. Durant uh, acted kind of petulantly, petulantly after the game regarding a Steve Kerr comment. Did you see this? Oh, so yeah. Slow start, and Kerr's mentioning didn't have the, I guess, intensity, or he even Who? mentioned the Steve Kerr, uh, or even the anger. Did you sense that? And, and does this team need a little more anger sometimes? I thought we, I thought we, uh, I thought we uh, move off of joy. Now anger. I disagree with that one. I mean, we just got to. I think all around, top to bottom, coaches, players, we just got to be better. I. Uh, did you see what Draymond Green said about DeMarcus Cousins? No. It's really great. You'll love this so much. Draymond has his own issues, as we know. Uh, he's also got a lot of incredible skill and talent that is a big part of why they've been so good. Big, big part of why they've been so good. But he said, Henry, um, he's like, don't blame DeMarcus Cousins for the horseshit defense we're playing. That was his quote, basically. Like, it's not him. And I thought... Oh, good for you, Draymond. Like, you get it. Like, it's easy to try to find the scapegoat, but not smart. So, you know, take the blame yeah. yourselves. Whatever, do whatever you need to do. Don't ostracize that guy because he is capable of, of engulfing that entire team in flames and bringing them down. Include him on the process of how we end up playing better. Don't, don't make it seem like he's the reason why. Passively, aggressively, as is, as Durant sometimes can do, uh, because that might. I mean, there's good enough teams out there to beat them if if they uh, if they kind of start fighting within, right? Yeah, they're. I mean, look, they're probably the best ever at kind of letting everybody oh, be themselves and automatic voice message system. Oh, Mark signed. What the uh, heck? Not available. At the what tone, the please record your message. Sorry, when you we finished just, recording, you may hang up or press one. Are we for calling my orthodontist or something? What's going on? <laughs> I tried to uh, patch it, Mark. Uh, hold on a second. Oh, oh Keep yeah. Going. Keep going. I'll get his other number. Finish. You were saying best ever, Henry. At, 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 you know, celebrating different kinds of personalities and letting them yeah. be themselves, right? You know, Steve Kerr was a big. Great. He, he, he was big at making Dennis Rodman functional as a teammate, yes. right? And if you read Phil Jackson's book, right? But they have bitten off a lot here, right? I mean, Ethan Sherwood-Strauss wrote an amazing article about how complicated it is to work with Draymond. Um, Kevin Durant is kind of showing all kinds of moodiness now. And now they add DeMarcus Cousins to that. Like, that's a tall order, man. This is a big – that's just what we know, you know? I imagine it's hard to be Steve Kerr right now. Hello? Good evening. Good morning. How are you, gentlemen? Mark Stein, what's going on? Special guest, the Stein line, baby. (laughs) We did take a trip back in time. Hi, Marcus. Boy, what are you doing? After escape from purgatory, welcome back. Thank you. (laughs) 
I miss and love you all except Jade. <laughs> Wait, how that. do I hang up on this? Hold on a second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, let's you, go Mark? back to that outgoing voicemail. Um, wait, what? Uh, what are you doing, Mark? Where are you right now? I am in the home office for a few hours before heading to the airport. Very, very sexy day. <laughs> do you? Um, do you? How? How many times a day do you say the words "the New York Times"? Um, I don't like. I don't say it myself that often, but I do like when other people say it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to lie to you. Not, I feel. I feel I feel stately. Yeah. Yeah. I think you should. Oh my I feel God. Like your work is all in that font now. You know, like that, that font. It's, uh, it's I like it comes from the you know what that font is? I didn't know. I didn't know, but now I do everything in that font. You know what that font is? <laughs> What's it called? It, it is Georgia. <laughs> wow. You, you moved to Texas and you're living in Georgia. <laughs> How are you, my friend? You got, nobody cares about me. What are you guys up to? Uh, we oh, just spent just, 90 minutes talking about it. Yeah, you're popping into the end of, of like the greatest off-track uh, basketball podcast ever. <laughs> yeah, your, your producer is something else. He hits me at 1047. Can you yes. come on in three minutes? That's how no, I do it, I baby. Can I, at 11? Yeah. can I come on at 1130? No, that's too late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I call a strong-arming. <laughs> no, Jade's always had his own, you know, special style, but it, it works. Mark, have you seen this, the Warriors recently in person? I actually haven't. I have not. That's, That's one what I of, thought. Uh, I've I've kind of uh, you know we, my colleague, the great Scott Cassiola, he's based in California, so he gets the bulk of the Warriors assignments during the regular season. So I actually have not seen them in person i mean i saw them all and all i saw various warriors at all-star but um we haven't talked about one really spectacular talent that i've watched for years in europe but you live there what's your what's your uh vision of uh luca i mean look i i saw him when he was young but it you know i would be lying in the extreme if i said i thought what he's doing was possible i mean he is exceeded every reasonable expectation in year one now I think a lot of people would have said he can be this good eventually, but to do this out of the gate has been ridiculous. I mean, he, it is his team. It revolves around him. You know, Dirk, this is obviously Dirk's franchise, Dirk city. Dirk is royalty here, but I mean, by Halloween, this was Lucas team. I mean, that's how good he's been. He's, and, and did you like the Porzingis deal? Cause I loved it. I thought it was the best deal of the trade of the trade deadline. Look, I definitely – I like the boldness of it, but I, it's funny to me. I think the Knicks have been destroyed for it, and I think the Mavericks are taking the bigger risk. I mean, Dallas put a lot of chips on the table to get this guy. I cannot understand why this is billed as a Knicks salary dump. I really don't. Yes, Porzingis was by far their best player and maybe their best player since Ewing, but the Mavericks gave up a recent top 10 pick two more first and took on two hellacious contracts that now set up the Knicks to go get Durant and Kyrie Irving. If Porzingis is healthy, it's all worth it, but he's got to prove he's healthy. I mean, by the time he's back, he will have been out for way more than a year. Guys, I got another special guest. Jay Adonde. Oh my gosh, what's happening? No way. <laughs> Jay Adonde. <laughs> 
Jade, what are you doing? Oh, he is. What's <laughs> up, Jay? I got a class to teach, man. But I did want to shout out to all these guys, all these excellent <laughs> journalists, including the Hall of Famer Mark Stein. Congrats once again, Mark. Yes, definitely. No way. No, we can't have guests with super smooth voices make us all sound hacky. Like, that's ridiculous. Oh, so wait. So you're not ashamed to be on the same podcast with Mark and his outstanding Hall of Fame credentials? That's not putting you to shame? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm unnerved by the quality of your voice, J.A. That's what's bothering me right now. <laughs> it does It does sound really good. I have it to does. <laughs> Jay, do we have? Do we not have good enough microphones? Does J.A. have a better microphone? Is that what's happening? Yeah, Jay's a problem. Oh, this is just no, a standard mic. Professorial now. That's that's what it is. Yeah, I'm actually the uh, I'm the uh, the guest in his class today. So it will be my guest. I wish all you guys could hang around and join us too to have a distinguished panel. But uh, I got to run, guys. Wait, 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 wait. Quiz to my class. Great to hear all your voices. I I love and respect and appreciate all your voices, Henry. Where is that being live streamed? Where is that being live streamed? I want to see Jay speak. Speak to the youth of America. Where can I watch that? <laughs> I should have a live stream of this, shouldn't I? You should. That yeah. good content. That's worth some money. All right, Jade, I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Take care all, all right, take care. All right. Five minutes. Oh, man, I can't wait till John Hollinger's here. <laughs> I got to run, guys. All right, well, let's too. wrap it up. Wait, can I tell one Stein story that I can do in 30 seconds? Yeah, yes. This is like my favorite uh, story of all the stories. Uh, Mark Stein and I are walking home from the NBA Finals game in Miami. Uh, it's late. There's like one little convenience store open. I think Mark has a story to write. We duck in there and he buys, uh, I think I'm right in saying, Coca-Cola in the glass bottle and chiclets. Mark, does that sound correct to you? Yes. I definitely didn't buy chiclets, but the glass <laughs> cola is thousand for thousand. Okay. Yeah. Something else. You, you had you some, I don't know, something Something really. On this podcast, which has so many names that I don't even know what it's called right now, you guys like to conflate your sign stories and kind of meld them all together. But uh, that's there have been there have been there have been chicklets. I'm not going to lie, but they were not (laughs) personal. You you bought you bought you came to the cash register with glass balls of coke and something that was extruded from a machine somewhere, and uh, I showed up with like I think I had like seltzer, almonds, and a banana. And we're both about to pay at the same time. And you look at what I have and you say, we should just pull your fucking credential right now. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, you're a picture of health. You're a rock for your family. Right. And I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm afraid to know what I am. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I had to walk side by side with Henry many years. But was- here's the thing. Here's what you are, Mark. You're funny. Thort, I'm not funny. Thort pisses me off, too, because the dude is constantly posting his skinny pictures. The dude's lost, like, 30-plus pounds in the 10 years I've known him, and it's quite annoying. Really, that's really. What twi- that's what twins do to you. Yeah, that picture, I don't know who posted it. Maybe it was Judy uh, the, of the live show you guys did many years ago. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Thorpe. Yeah. I, I just got a kick out of looking at Thorpe there. That was funny. I was, a little, I was a little heavier back then. The big jeans. I love the big jeans. There yeah, was a time wife. he was mostly neck. <laughs> and a lot of neck. All right, let's make fun of us being more. I, I got to go, guys. All right. Okay, I got to go, too. Thank First you, everybody. Time. All right, thank you, guys. That's it. That's it. We're done? No, We're done. that's it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If we've learned one thing here, it's nothing lasts forever. Right, you guys are weird. You guys are weird, but I love you. Take care, <laughs> All right, boys. Take care. All right. Love you, too. Thanks, everybody. Right.